Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers 24. And here in Numbers 24, we see what we're going to look at here in Numbers 24 is the conclusion of Balaam and Balak. And if you're listening for the first time, start in Numbers 22. Listen to Numbers 22, 23. And, you know, we're going to see this uh, 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 event that happens with Balaam and Balak, this encounter. And it's beautiful with Balaam because he starts out beautifully. His intimacy that he has with the Lord, it's beautiful. And he has intimacy with the Lord. But then at the same time, when we see Balak as a type of Satan, we see his relentless nature of, you know, his pivoting from one angle to another angle to another angle. And you see the relentless, the relentless nature of Balak. And then you also see the fall of Balaam. Now, when we you, you hear me say we see the fall of Balaam, but these are things that are revealed in future chapters in the New Covenant. These are things that are revealed later through uh, through uh, the Apostle John in Revelation and then also through uh, Jude in Jude chapter 1. These are things that the Lord reveals through the Spirit to these beautiful, beautiful men and what happens for you and me is that He teaches us. He teaches us through His Word. A beautiful picture of starting out well, but also an ugly, 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 terrible, terrible picture of not finishing well. And so let's look at here in chapter 24, verse 1. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel... He did not go as at other times. Now, remember in the previous studies in last week and how Balak, how he offered other locations when he'd go from in one position and say, okay, now, you know, here, you know, I want you to curse Israel. And Balaam, no, he says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to curse Israel because they're blessed of the Lord. And the Lord told him. The Lord told him, and you see his obedience, which is beautiful, but it's for the short term. It's not for the long term. And you see, remember, so he did not go as at other times to seek to, seek to use sorcery. Now, remember, Balaam is a diviner. Balaam is a diviner. Now, we're going to see passages in the Old Testament where, you know, this type of uh, sorcery, uh, witchcraft, uh, it's not good at all. It's forbidden in the law. Now, when the Bible says that, also understand that the Lord engages, the Lord makes himself known. I mean, when you think of like Jethro as Jethro, uh, Mo, the father-in-law of Moses, and you, you see him as a, a priest in Midian, now, for him to be a priest in Midian, but then at the same time giving counsel to Moses, understand that as the Lord makes himself known, he has a choice to make. Where, yeah, he can be a priest in Midian, but now that you know the Lord has made himself known, he destroyed Egypt, and now Jethro has a choice to make. Like, wow, you know, I'm going to deny these gods of Midian, and I'm going to align myself with the God of the Hebrew people. It's the same way you and me today, not today, but I mean people today, but you and me at in our BC days, our before Christ days, for me personally, I had a lot of idols. I had a lot of idols. Alcohol was chief among them. Alcohol, but you can throw in some other ones too. What about your idols before you came to Christ? 
Now, the Lord makes himself known, and then you have a choice to make. You had a choice to make, and here we are today. Here we are studying the Word of God, and, you know, praise be to the Lord. You're my brother. You're my sister. Now, if you're listening for the first time and you're not a believer, repent, receive Jesus Christ. Hit pause right now and listen to a, a, a message that says how to commit your life to Jesus Christ, and you become a born-again believer because the, the Lord makes himself known. And the Lord makes himself known. And then you have a choice to make. You might have a God of alcohol, of drugs, of, you know, Buddha, Mary, you know, sex, all kinds of different things. All kinds of different things. And you have a choice to make. As the Lord makes himself known more and more. As we get further into the events of the last days, the Lord is going to make himself known. And people are going to have to make a choice. Am I going to hold on to the alcohol? Am I going to hold on to the crack? Am I going to hold on to the sex? Am I going to hold on to the pornography? Am I going to hold on to Buddha? Am I going to hold on to Mary? Am I going to hold on to the Hare Krishnas? Am I going to hold on to whatever? Or am I going to let go and hold on to Jesus Christ because the Lord has made himself known? That's what's going to happen in the last days. And it just blows me away so much because, you know, we see this encounter that Balaam has with the Lord and the Lord makes himself known to him. And yes, he's into sorcery. And one of the problems with Balaam is that he doesn't fully let go. You see that he was hired as a diviner to curse Israel. And we see the relentless nature of Balak as a type of Satan. But it's not Balak alone, which we're going to see when we get into uh, future chapters. It's not just Balak and, you know, Balaam for profit. Balaam for profit. Look what, you hear me say that, but look what Jude really quick. And I've referenced this before in our previous studies, but I'll say it again. And Jude chapter 1 and verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. So now you see like, well, wait a second. What was his motivation? What was his motivation? Money. Money. Be very careful with money. That's the love of money that is the root of all evil. The love of money. You know, at some point in time, you know, as the Lord makes himself known, you're going to have to let go. If you're a non-believer, you're going to have to let go. If you are a believer and, you know, maybe you hear me, you know, I say sex, drugs, alcohol, Buddha, Mary, all these things. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's money. Now, we live in a culture where money is required if you want to, you know, buy your groceries, you know, pay your rent, pay your mortgage. We live in this. That's our culture. But then at the same time, what about the love of money? You see, filthy lucre, the things that people do for money. There's such a thing as honest gain and dishonest gain, dirty money. Biblically speaking, there's clean money, money that honors the Lord, and there's dirty money. Don't be like Balaam. Balaam for Balaam, his vice, profit, money. For others, the vice could be, you know, fill in the blank. But there comes a point in time where everybody has to make a decision. Am I going to let go of fill in the blank and hold on to Jesus Christ? Or am I going to deny Jesus Christ and hold on to fill in the blank? Whatever. And praise be to the Lord because we have this Old Testament example. 
Remember, these things written of old are written for our admonition, our warning. That's what Paul says to the church in Corinth, a church of both Jew and Gentile. And so you see that, you know, he says that, you know, when Balaam saw in verse 1, he saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. He did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face towards the, toward the wilderness. And you see his obedience, which is good, which is beautiful. But remember, it's only for the short term. And what kind of trips me out about verse 1, it's that when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord, saw with his eyes. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord, what about what the Lord told him in previous chapters? Like, you know, don't curse Israel. When he had his own intimacy, don't curse Israel. I mean, it's almost like he flirted with the notion. It's almost like he flirted with the thought, well, you know, here I'm hired for this job. And I know the Lord says, you know, don't do this. And, you know, here I'm hired for this. Sure, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and go. But praise be to the Lord because he had his donkey. Praise be to the Lord because he had his beautiful, beautiful donkey. You know, with a heavy, heavy load on her back, which was Balaam. Balaam. And she had eyes to see his beautiful donkey. And the Lord opened her mouth. And then all of a sudden, the donkey started to speak. I remember the warning we gave a couple, couple chapters ago. Me personally, I've never, ever, ever, never in my life, I've never seen a donkey speak. Never. But does that mean I'm closed off to what we read in Scripture? No way. Because we walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. You see, it's very important. And if you're a youngster and you're listening, you know, it's it's so beautiful to talk. You know, I, I've, I've spoken to young people before, like under age 10. And I've spoken to like, you know, like early teenagers. And it's so beautiful to speak with this younger generation, especially under age 10. Because you can say something, you, you could read from scripture. You could read like, you know, Balaam's donkey started to speak. And it's like the kids just, oh my goodness. It's, there's a, a, amazement. There's like wonderment. But what's so beautiful is there's no doubt. And then, you know, I've spoken same messages, same exact passages to adults. And it's like they're closed off to it. Closed off. Oh, no, that's, that, that's, oh, that's metaphorical. That was metaphorical. Metaphorically, this happened. It's very interesting, you know, to teach one topic, to, to teach one passage of scripture, one, you know, maybe a book. And you teach it to a younger generation and how receptive they are to things of Holy Scripture. And then you teach to adults, you know, and it's like, it's, it's very difficult. And that's what happens as we grow in the natural, in, as the natural man, as the natural woman, carnally, as we grow carnally. The risk is that a heart can also grow hard. That's not good. That's not good because we are a people of the circumcision. Not of the law, a circumcision of the heart. What we learned in what you know the Lord put on, on Paul's heart to teach the church in Rome. We studied that in the book of Romans. And so you see that the obedience of Balaam, remember it's short term. But you know, why is it here in verse 1? When Balaam saw 
when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord, did he forget what the Lord told him? It's an Old Testament example of a particular fellow walking by sight. And walking by sight is perfectly fine for the world. Perfectly fine for the world. But we're not of the world. You and me, we are not of the world. If you're a non-believer, I don't want you to be of the world. Because we're heavenly bound people. We're going there. Paradise. Paradise was lost in Genesis. And the word of God teaches us. He shows us the way to paradise. He teaches us. How is that? What is that way? It's through truth. The truth of God's holy word. That is the way. And we walk in that way. And you know what happens? We have life. The way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Him, saith the Lord Jesus Christ. It requires faith. You and me, we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 2. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. Now, something that's interesting to note is the Old Testament, the majority of times you see God's Spirit upon someone. But as New Covenant believers, God's Spirit indwells us. And God's Spirit indwelling us, there's also gifts that He gives us, which we studied in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. We looked at the spiritual gifts that the Lord gives. You see, it's so beautiful to have this understanding of the Old Testament and then study the New Testament. And vice versa. It's so beautiful to have an understanding of the New Testament and study the Old Testament. Because as New Covenant believers, oh my goodness, do you see how the Lord is just making Himself known? Deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. I hope you do. I pray you do. Because our relationship can get deeper and deeper and deeper. And in that depth of the Lord, we grow, we mature. He teaches us we have deeper intimacy with Him. And He equips us for the work of the ministry. And so look what happens here. It says here in verse 3, Then he took up his oracle, he took up his poem or his, or his parable and said, The utterance of Balaam. He's prophesying. The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor. The utterance of the man whose eyes are opened. The utterance of him who hears the word of God. Now it's very interesting. He acknowledges that he hears the word of the Lord. But remember, Luke chapter 11, verse 28. Blessed are those who hear. Not period. Blessed are those who hear and keep the word. Keep. Let that be a strong, uh, I want to say warning, but I don't say warning like in a mean sense. I want to say warning like, you know, like, you know, don't forget. Don't forget. Blessed are those who hear. No period. Blessed are those who hear and keep the word. Also in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, blessed is he who reads, hears, and keeps keeps you see not short term we're not going to keep the word for a week we're not going to keep the word for a year we're not going to keep the word for a month uh two two years five years we're going to keep the word for the rest of our lives that's my prayer for us as a body believers we keep the word 
we read, we hear, and we keep. You see? And He grows us. He matures us. He stretches us. And so look what happens here in verse uh, in verse 4. The utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who, who falls down with eyes wide open. Now remember, Israel is encamped. And in verse 5, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob. I love the, I love the poetic verses. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. Tents here, you know, tents here as, as it translates in the Hebrew as tent or a home. But understand what he's seeing is the covering of the people, a covering on the people, their homes. It's so beautiful because for you and me, our homes are like sanctuaries. I don't care if you live in a mansion. I don't care if you live in a little house, a medium-sized house. I don't care if you live in an apartment. I don't care if you live in a flat. I don't care if you live in a shack. I don't care or if you live under a tree. I don't care. But let that place be your sanctuary. Let that place be your sanctuary. You know, you go to work or whatever, you go out, whatever, that's the world. But then you come home, boom, Goshen. Let that be your peace. Sanctuary. And sometimes, you know, how the Lord teaches us that a man's enemies will be those in his own house. Well, you can have peace in your heart, but you might have a special prayer room where only your God, only your Father sees when you pray. You're own, like, okay, this is my sanctuary. Within my home, here's my sanctuary. In your heart, sanctuary. These are things that we lose sight of. Let us be a people that doesn't lose sight of those things, especially as we progress further in the last days because it's going to get darker and darker and darker and darker. It's, it's prophesied. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. Now, speaking of tents, don't forget, Paul was a tent maker. <laughs> Paul was a tent maker. How beautiful. Covering for his clientele. Covering his clientele. <laughs> How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. I love these, you know, these poetic verses like you see in the Psalms and the, in the Proverbs. Proverbs is a little more hardcore, you know, because, you know, <laughs> we're going to get there and it's going to be beautiful to study. But, you know, sometimes it's hard hitting because it's just straight up to the point. But I love when these prophets speak, you know, and I'm not acknowledging Balaam as like a prophet, you know, comparing him to uh, Isaiah or Nehemiah. But you see, in his short-term intimacy with the Lord, understand it's, it's the Lord that's showing him these things. And Balaam has a big problem because he doesn't, he poops out. He runs out, he runs out of gas. I'll give you an example for you and me today. Have you ever known a pastor? Have you ever known a ministry leader in whatever ministry? How they start out just beautifully. They start out well. And in the course of time, maybe five years in, 10 years in, 20 years in, 30 years in, something happens where all of a sudden, you know, the, a big one is sex. They don't finish well. 
Maybe they, you know, they do all the sex stuff. They do all the drug stuff. They do all the alcohol stuff. They do it. They start out well, but they don't finish well. And that's a big problem. It's such a problem today that it's going to get worse. And the Lord Jesus Christ even says, prophetically speaking, Matthew 24, he says, no flesh will be saved, even the elect, unless those days were shortened. That's how bad. The majority of Christians, even the elect, will poop out, run out of gas. Now, if you're listening, you know, I, I teach from America. So when I say we'll poop out, you know, I don't, you know, I shouldn't say that because it's it's a, a phraseology that we have here in the Western culture, but specifically in America, where it's like you run out of gas. You know, sometimes I've you know taught in the third world before, where you know you you teach something, and then the people are like a gas, like what what I don't get it, and then you have to explain like okay, this is what, this is what it means, and in our culture here in America, this is what it means. So when I say you poop out. I, what I mean is that you run out of gas. You run out of, you know, there's no spiritual stamina. That's what I mean when I say that. No spiritual stamina. And even still, you know, you see these beautiful ministries. You know, they start out well. The pastor on point, ministry leader on point. Scripturally, as a Berean, you know, you're a Berean. You study the Word of God. Everything's on point. And then all of a sudden you say, wow, you know, he's on his fifth wife now. Wow, he's a crackhead now. Wow, he's doing drugs. Wow, this is happening or, you know, that's happening or whatever, you know. And it's terrible. It's terrible. These are real world examples of a type of Balaam. You know, they start out well, but then they don't finish well. That's what's so beautiful about Paul. I don't think... I don't, I, can't, I don't, you know, I, I don't count myself as, as achieved already, but I press forward, he says. He was an old guy in prison. I, I don't count myself having achieved already, he says. I press forward. I run my race. And when he's dying, he writes to little, uh, young Timothy. Not little Timothy. He's like, you know, a young pastor now. He says, my life is being poured out as his drink offering. He's dying. And he's alone. You know, only Luke is with me. And yet he's still running his race. An old man still running his race. All alone. Only Luke is with him. No wife. Remember he told the church, he says, I wish you'd be like me. You know, single. Because he was looking forward to his husband. Capital H. As a member of the bride of Christ. Now, if you're listening, you're a non-believer. You're like, what? Looking forward to his husband? What are you talking about? Well, I'm speaking spiritually. Because I speak to the living. I teach the living. Now, if you are not a Christian and you're in a state of deadness, only the Lord can make dead bones walk. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. Your dead bones that you know you have, that you are in, you repent and you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And yes, your dead bones can walk. The same way my dead bones came to life. Not by my doing. It's the Lord and the power of His Holy Spirit. And then as we continue to study the Word of you hear me say things like this, or you know, you'll understand because we're growing, we're maturing together, going through the wilderness. The wilderness being this world 
which is fading on our way to paradise. Look what he says here in verse 7. He shall pour water from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters. So you see that he acknowledges the spreading of Israel. They're going to grow. His king shall be higher than Agag. Now, Agag, we're going to see Agag more and we get into like, you know, the kings, first and second kings. We're going to see Agag more, but it's a title of the king of the Amalekites. And the it's like Pharaoh. You know how like, you know, there's... Uh, uh, Pharaoh is like a title. It's like a, like the president of the United States, you know, the president or the prime minister of whatever country, the, 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 the king of whatever country. And from America, we have, you know, the president of the United States. And you look in the history of presidencies and you have a long line of all these presidents, people who served as president. So like you can be in, you know, 1810, you know, President, who is the president? You can be in 1901. Who is the president? You know, and here we are, uh, 2021. Who is the president? You see, so it's it's like that. And this Agag is like a title. His king shall be higher than Agag. Now, this uh, when we get into these passages, future chapters in the Old Testament, Amalekites is a type of sin. The Amalekites is a type of sin. Is you know Saul. He kept the Amalekites alive. When the Lord gave the command, kill all the Amalekites, kill, kill them all. Kill them all because they're a type of sin. And he kept the king alive and it was Samuel. Samuel, what is this? Or, or, or it was Samuel who's Saul, what is this? The prophet Samuel, Saul. The Lord says, kill, 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 kill everybody here. You, you, let, you kept the king alive? And it was Samuel who killed the king. You see, don't play games with sin. I don't care what, oh, but, you know, here, Lord, you can clean all this in, 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 in this temple, clean this, but I got this little sin. That's just, that's mine. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to hold on to this crack. Here, Lord, you clean this. This is okay. You go ahead and clean here, but I'm going to hold on to this sex. I'm going to hold on to this alcohol. I'm going to hold on to these drugs. I'm going to hold on to Buddha. You see? No, you kill it all. You kill it all, Lord. It's yours. I don't want it. You see? I give it all up, Lord. And the Lord cleans house. He does it just like we're studying in, in the Corinthian in the Corinthian church. How the Lord cleans house. But the Lord cleans house inside of your temple, my temple. We have to let him. We yield to him. You see? And so what happens here? He says, he shall, his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. Now, this prophecy, Israel being exalted, it's, it makes it easier to understand the hatred of Jews and Israel when Scripture shows their beauty. When Scripture teaches this beautiful aspect of the Jews and Israel, God's promises to, to Israel and the Jews, and now you understand the satanic opposition. Spiritually, it's all spiritual. 100%. It's all, and it's a big family dispute. I mean, do you remember way back when we studied our, uh, Genesis? 
and we started to look at the uh, uh, genealogy lineage and I would always say it's a big family dispute it's a big family dispute we'd look at certain you know what happens with uh, uh, one person and we look at their lineage you know this is a future Canaanites these are the future Canaanites these are the future Amalekites which you know it it, it, it turns out to be a big problem for Israel you know this descendants of Ishmael turns out to be a big problem it's a big family dispute speaking about the uh, descendants of Abraham see and it really is I mean you, we're we're gonna look at touch on some prophecies today and so look what happens here in verse 8 God brings him out of Egypt he has strength like a wild ox I love this passage in verse 8 you know why I'll tell you something this is gonna seem like I'm going way out in left field but I'm gonna explain myself I'm gonna say the word unicorn <laughs> I'm going to say the word unicorn. You might be thinking like, oh, great. This is it. This is it. He's lost his mind. This is it. This is the last straw. But let me explain myself when I say this word unicorn. The King James Version has the word unicorn. He has strength like the unicorn. The King James says that. Now, I say this because, you know, the, the, what the translators did of the King James Version, what they did in error, is that the translators did not reference the Hebrew, which translates as a wild ox. But they did use the translation. They, they focused from the Septuagint. They referenced the Septuagint, which is, you know... I get why they did that in some passages. Remember, we took in, we looked at Septuagint math. Remember, there was that uh, reference in Septuagint math. You know, to, to those who are like hardcore King James only. Well, don't forget the Bible uses Septuagint math. Not in all, every passage, but in some. Just like the translators in the, of the King James, they also used this Septuagint reference for the wild ox, which is unicorn the wild ox the wild ox and you know what Paul refers to as the wild ox or an ox in the Old Testament the large majority of time you see the the reference of an ox it's a New Testament example of teachers pastors you see and if there happens to be any Beautiful little ones among us listening who like unicorns. I also like unicorns. You see, very beautiful pastors, very beautiful pastors who tend the flock of God as the ox that Paul references to those who have ears. Let's see what happens here. In verse 8, God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? Don't forget that there's this seed going from generation to generation to generation to generation. Genesis to Revelation. There's this whole... I mean... Genesis to Matthew, 
but I mean the, the gospels, but you know when you look at the resurrection of Christ, you know that lineage is we see that lineage in revelation, this lineage of which we as partakers through faith, the promise of Abraham. I mean, these are things which touch so deeply on your faith and very personal on your faith. My faith, our faith. And faith can grow. Understand, remember, a measure of faith is given to every man and faith can grow. And faith is a gift. And it can grow. You see? How beautiful is it that the Lord shows us these things and he teaches and never forget that, you know, the Lord came the first time as a lamb for the slaughter. But then at the same time, he came the second or he's going to come the second time as a lion of Judah. It's for judgment. So when we read these passages, he shall consume the nations, his enemies, he shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? Who shall, I mean, imagine we're walking through the desert. You know, we're on a safari. We're walking through the desert. We come across this big bush, and you see a sleeping lion. Who in the world is going to mess with that lion? Who is going to make a sound? You are, you're not, it's, you don't want to rouse this lion. That's the same way when the Lord makes himself known. And you know how the Lord makes himself known in the last days? Through tribulation. Through tribulation. People's hearts are going to be so hard in the last days. And they're getting hard. Remember, love is going to wax cold. Hearts are going to get so hard and hard and hard and hard. And that's what's so beautiful about the intensity of the plagues in Revelation. And you say like, wait a second, the plagues are terrible. Yes, they're terrible. Yes, I'm not denying that. But as the Lord, what does it take for hard hearts to acknowledge Jesus Christ? It takes heavy plagues. Just like in Egypt. Remember we looked at Egypt? When everybody in the council of Pharaoh, oh, Moses, Aaron, these guys are stupid. You know, let's put them to work harder. These guys are so dumb. But in the course of time, when you look at Exodus chronologically, what do you start to see? You see even Pharaoh's wise men. They were like, whoa, surely the Lord, their God is stronger than our God's Pharaoh. You let the people go. Even the wise men, you know, who could perform miracles on par with the Lord. Remember, they, the Lord, uh, you know, the Lord would do one thing. And then these, the wise men, the magicians, their sorcerers of Egypt, they did the exact same thing. But when it came time for hail, their sorcerers, the sorcerer of Egypt, they couldn't do it. You see, and slowly he was, their hearts were being chipped away. Hard hearts, which thought, oh, yeah, the God of the Hebrew people, he's forgotten them. He's not mighty like our gods that we have here in Egypt. Look, our sorcerers say this. They, you know, they're wise. But what happens when their sorcerers of Egypt couldn't make the hail come down like the God of Egypt did? And you keep reading chronologically. You keep reading. And finally, it's these same wise men who are telling Pharaoh, Pharaoh, no, let the people go. Let Israel go. Don't mess. Their God is stronger than us. We, don't, we can't do the sorcery. Our sorcery is nothing compared to him. Because the Lord made himself known. 
it's going to be the same way through tribulation. Hard hearts. People are going to hold on. Remember, love is going to wax cold. People are going to hold on to their sex, their drugs, their alcohol, their Buddhas, their Marys. They're going to hold on to it all. What's it going to take for them to let go? Tribulation. Plague number one. Plague number two. Plague number three. And there's going to be a lot of death when tribulation comes. And even still we see verse 9. Blessed is he who blesses you and cursed is he who curses you. You see? This So... This is Balaam's oracle, Balaam's first oracle in chapter 24. And now Balak is done speaking, or, or Balaam is done speaking, and now verse 10, then Balak, something happens with Balak now. Then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam, and he struck his hands together, and Balak said to Balaam, now this is Balak speaking, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Now, therefore, flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. I think this is so interesting. Because Balak, in his persistence as a type of Satan, trying to chip away at Balaam as a type of Satan, and now look what he's doing. He says, but in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. Now he's invoking the Lord. Do you see? Remember in Genesis when the serpent spoke? Did God really say? First question in the Bible. Did God really say? The serpent invoking the Lord. Is it really the Lord who said this? Satan said, the serpent you see, and now you have Balak invoking the Lord. Now, this happens a lot in Scripture. It happens a lot in Scripture by Satan. It happens by Satan's vessels. And it happens a lot today. You see people invoking the name of the Lord. They even invoke the name of Jesus Christ. They even use Scripture. But you have to look at the fruit you have to look at the fruit. Now, I'm going to give kind of like a worldly example. Maybe not worldly, but like a, a folk, folklore example or an example in the uh, story time. And, you know, the, the story of Excalibur. Excalibur, Arthur, the sword and the stone. Not everybody. It took a very, very special person to pull the sword out of the stone. A very... It's the same way with the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. A lot of people are self-proclaimed pastors. A lot of people are self-proclaimed prophets and prophetesses. But in the majority of cases, especially among the prophets and prophetesses of our age, the large majority of prophets and prophetesses today are incapable of wielding that sword are incapable of yielding that sword because they themselves refuse to yield to the word of God. As a prophet, they would say, oh, you know, thus saith the Lord. And there are people today who say that, the self-proclaimed prophets, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, this person will be the next president. 
a lot of politics involved, you know, feeding on the flesh, you know, uh, appealing to the flesh of the masses, appealing to, the, appealing to the flesh of the people. Oh, thus saith the Lord, this person is going to be president. Thus saith the Lord, you will be rich next year. Thus saith the Lord, you're going to win the lottery next month. Thus saith the Lord, the Lord is going to bless you bountifully. No mention of repentance. The Lord is going to bless you bountifully, but yet you're committing all this sin. The Lord is going to bless you bountifully, but yet you know, you're doing all this sex like crazy, the drugs like crazy, all these things. No, the blessings of the Lord, biblically, they come through obedience. It's a byproduct of obedience. Now, it's true. Rain falls on the righteous and the wicked. It is true. But the blessings of the Lord, the deep, deep, deep blessings of the Lord, it's a byproduct of obedience. I mean, when you see, you turn on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, and you watch that, and then all of a sudden, you're, oh, thus saith the Lord, the Lord. And some of the cable channels, some of the, you know, like uh, um, some of the Christian, so-called Christian channels on TV, on the cable channels, you know, you hear the people say, you know, oh, the Lord is going to bless you. If you just sow these seeds, sow $100 to our, to our ministry, and the Lord is going to bless you bountifully. He will double your income. He will triple your income. Stupid. No mention of obedience. Instead of saying repent to the people, they say, oh yeah, the Lord is going to bless you. The Lord is going to bless you. Appealing to the flesh, appealing to the carnal nature. You see? I mean, look at how the Lord blessed Paul. And he had his head chopped off. Look at how the Lord blessed Peter, bountifully blessed Peter. He was hung upside down. Look at how he bountifully blessed John. John was like thrown into burning tar. You see, he didn't die. The Lord kept him alive. And so he sent him on a working party in, in Patmos. You see? Re look at the, the history of the church. A lot of blood. A lot of blood. I mean, we're so spoiled today. We have this book, capital B, we have this book set before us. Genesis to Revelation without realizing, without remembering that this is a blood-stained book, even the blood of our Lord. But of His servants, of His messengers, of His prophets, a lot of blood. Even today, a lot of blood. Pastors who are killed, elders who are killed, pastors' wives, elders' wives who are raped and then killed. Pastors and children, elders, children who are maimed, just to send a message, just to send a message to the pastor to stop teaching Jesus Christ. You see, it's happening today. Pastors' children raped, and sometimes they beat the pastor and make him watch, hold him down, make him watch. You know, take the daughter, guy number one, rape, guy number two, rape, guy number three, just rape, rape, rape. And then they kill the daughter. And violently, I mean, that's violent already, but they violently kill, like, body parts, like chop. You see, it's happening. 
I don't mean to be violent in speaking this way, but it's happening. Pray for the persecuted church. We're so spoiled in Western culture. And what does the Bible say? That there's a famine of the Word of God. There will be a famine of the Word of God. You see? Just like Agabus that we looked at on Sunday. Agabus. Where are the Agabuses of our day and age? Where are the Agabuses of today? When there's a famine of the Word of God, where are the teachers? Where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? Where are the ox? Where are the unicorns? (laughs) Where are the unicorns? You see? That's what I want to know. And so look what happens here. So you see here, so in verse 12, so Balaam said to Balak, Did I not speak to your messengers whom you sent to me, saying, this is Balaam speaking now, if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of my Lord, of the Lord, to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says, that I must speak. And now indeed I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this, what this people will do to your people in the latter days. Translates as, what this people will do to your people in the end of days. In the end days, in the end times. So now we're going to look at prophetic passages. So he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. You see this beautiful, beautiful intimacy, beautiful intimacy that Balaam has with the Lord. And he's prophesying. But never forget, it's very, very short term. You see? His standing in God, it gets lost. That's the deceitfulness of sin, which the writer of Hebrews warns us of. I'll read it. Hebrews chapter 3, which I reference quite a bit. And I'm going to keep referencing. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in, in any of you, to the church, brethren, an evil heart of un, unbelief to the brethren. Brethren, unbelieving, very interesting. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And that is the problem. The deceitfulness of sin. Oh yeah, God will forgive me. Oh yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do this. God will forgive me. I'll go ahead and do my sex. I'll go ahead and do my drugs. I'll go ahead and do my alcohol. And God will forgive me. What does Paul say? Don't take advantage of God's grace. Does that mean that we should sin so that sin can abound? Question mark. No way. Certainly not the exclamation point. Remember, we studied that in Romans. No. We grow. We mature. We put aside all those things which can so easily ensnare us and we run our race. You and me. And so look what happens here in, uh, in, in, verse, uh, uh, in verse 17, uh, uh, Numbers 24. 
I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. This is a prophecy of Jesus. Remember Matthew chapter 2, verse 2? The wise men, they say, where is the king of the Jews? We have seen his star. You see? I see him, but not now. He said, he's prophesying a future time. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. The scepter is a tribe, a stick, or as branching off. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. You see? And batter the brow of Moab. Now, we're going to look at some... Genealogy, maybe I shouldn't say genealogies, but anthropologically speaking, movements of people. But I have to give this warning as we look at these movements of people because I don't say warning, just a word of caution. Be careful what you see on the internet. Be careful. I mean, there are some reputable sources, reputable Christian, very strong ministries which teach. But be very careful because there are also a lot of snakes on the internet. You don't need me to tell you that. There are also a lot of snakes on the internet where they'll say, "Oh yeah, we're we're the we're uh, the descendants of we're the you know we're the true Israelites. We're the true you know we're these descendants you know." And they get into where you get into real craziness is where they also invoke the law. They say, "Oh you know we're the true we're God's true people." And, you know, if you're, you know, fill in the blank, if you're not one of us, then we can kill you, we can rape you, we can have sex with you, we can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter if you're male, female, we can do whatever you want. A lot of it, I don't say that to sound disgusting and gross, even though it is disgusting and gross, but there's a lot of danger out there. A lot of danger out there. Just be very, very careful. I mean, these are things that I would, if you're a new believer, I would say don't even go there. Don't even go there. These are things that are going to be further revealed as we get further in the last days. But yet, this prophecy, it, it these are things which are going to happen and we're going to see correlation with future cha- other, cha- other books. He says in verse 17, In the middle, a scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab. Now, we're going to see passages and references to Moab Edom, uh, uh, Ammon, and these are areas in modern-day Jordan, modern-day areas of southern Syria. Modern-day, currently. These are neighbors to Israel. And, you know, it's very interesting because modern-day Jordan has the what's called the Waqf, and they're kind of like the uh, police over the Temple Mount, the Al-Aqsa Mosque area. And on that area, it's very volatile. And Jews were indefinitely not allowed on the Temple Mount grounds anymore. That was, That's very recent. That's like within the last two days. They had been closed off. Actually, yesterday, that they had been closed off there. And so that's indefinitely. So we'll see what the political climate, what it, uh, what happens. But that's what's happening right now on the Temple Mount. Very volatile times that we live in. And the converging of a lot of prophecies, some of which we're going to look at today. 
So he says here, batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. Now, turn with me to Psalm, Psalm 83. Psalm 83. Oops. Okay, Psalm 83. Verse 1. Psalm 83, a song, a psalm of Asaph. Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult. This is like a, a waging war. It says, and those who hate you have lifted their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people. Crafty, wicked, and cunning counsel against your people. And consulted together against your sheltered ones. Now, there are prophetic implications here about your, your sheltered ones. Now, sheltered ones, there's, you know, the, you, there are uh, passages in Scripture about the, the safety of Israel being sheltered of the Lord. But there are also passages where the uh, Israel is sheltered in, you know, regions of Jordan. Speaking of Petra, when, you know, the Lord, the, when we get into prophecies in Matthew 24, you know, uh, flee to the mountains. You know, don't, don't even, you know, those on the rooftop, don't even like go to get your clothes. Don't pack up your suitcases. Just get out of Dodge. Terrible times. He's, the Lord even says for nursing mothers. For nursing mothers. I mean, picture a nursing mother trying to, you know, run with a child. In harm's way, the baby starts crying. All of a sudden, you know, pinpoints a location. Oh, there's a crying baby over here. Let's go kill the baby. Family's probably there. Let's go kill the mom. Let's go kill the dad. Let's kill everybody. It's going to be such terrible times. Terrible, terrible times. And the Lord says that He's going to make a way and lead the people to the uh, 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 to Petra. That's what the Bible, there's prophecies. And He's going to make, and there's going to be sinkholes. And all the, like the chasers of Israel, all of a sudden the, the earth is going to open up and swallow them. And the Lord is going to protect Israel. Now when that happens... The focus of the Antichrist who's killing Jews, all of a sudden, his focus is going to turn on Christians. That's you and me <laughs> in the crosshairs. That's what's going to happen. It just, it blows me away so much. Now, there's a, a large camp of people, the large majority of Christians today. Oh, we're not going to be here pre-tribulation rapture. We're not going to be here. We're, we're going to be saved from all that. I don't hold to the pre-tribulation theory. I don't hold to it. Now, I don't say that to, I know that comes as a shocker. But, you know, after this message, or you can even pause right now. If you want to listen, look for this message that's, uh, when is the rapture? When is the rapture? You have to have your Bible open. Don't just listen to it. I mean, you can, I want you to listen to it. But have your Bible open. Because we look at the prophecies. We look at the certain passages. You know, don't forget. Everybody say, oh, you know, the, the imminent, through the imminency of Christ. The imminent return of Christ. Now, the church in Thessalonica was also into the imminency. You know, the, the, the Lord could return at any time. The church in Thessalonica was exactly the same way as the church is today. They could, oh, the Lord could come at any time. Now, Paul, inspired of the Spirit, inspired of the Spirit, had to write Second, uh, second Thessalonians. Specifically, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. 
where he indicates, in spite of the spirit, okay, these are the conditions for the return of the, uh, for for these are the conditions, the, the the conditions, the outlining, you know, the seventieth week. I'll, I'll I'll read. I mean, I reference it, but I'll just read. Second Thessalonians chapter two verse one. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, which is the rapture of the church, the collection, the collection. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us or as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Now, remember, the church in Thessalonica they were hardcore into the imminent return of Jesus Christ. The Lord can return at any time the same way the church is today. The Lord can return at any time. And so the Spirit says, Hey Paul, write a letter to the church in Thessalonica. Write a letter to them. And so in obedience, Paul says, Yes, Lord, I will. And then all of a sudden he writes this. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by, by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. That's the apostasy. That's the apostasy of the last days. You hear me say that quite a bit. You hear me say that the church is either false, it's apostate, it's on its way to apostasy, or it's true. Well, this apostasy is prophesied. The falling away comes first. Remember, verse 1, concerning our gathering together to Him, the rapture of the church. So the Thessalonican church was, was hardcore into the imminent return of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit says, Paul, write a letter. Paul says, okay, Lord. That day will not come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That happened. That's the abomination of desolation. That happens in the middle of the 70th week. Read the chapter. Read the prophecies in Daniel 9. Daniel 9, 27. The abomination of desolation. And then read Matthew 24. The abomination of desolation that happens in the middle of the 70th week. Since that happens in the middle of the 70th week, how can the church be gone? How can the church be raptured? You see, when the Lord, through the vessel Paul, says in verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed and the son of, and the son, the son of perdition. You see? So, I'm not... I don't adhere to the pre-tribulation rapture theory. I know that's a shocker. And that's just a little taste of what you'll hear. If, you know, listen to the message, when is the rapture? And so, let's go back to Psalm 83 now. In Psalm 83, these events that are going to happen in the last days. In verse 2, Psalm 83, For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. Very interesting. Because that's what you hear today. As the globe is kind of 
anti-Zionist. Now, when I say anti-Zionist, I'm, you know, <clears throat> when I when I say that, because I'm a Zionist, but not a Zionist in this, not Zion in this in this world. Zion paradise, Zion paradise. You see, I'm not talking about when I, yeah, I'm not Zion in 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 you know in accordance to the world. But in accordance to the world, prophetically speaking, the Zionist movement, this is the movement that will establish, that will build the third temple. People say, oh, you shouldn't want the third temple because, you know, that you're the temple, we're the temple. Yes, I completely agree. Prophetically speaking, these things have to happen. These things will happen. Understand the times. When you understand the prophecies, it's like, oh, wait a second, you know, fullness of the... Understand... Our study in Romans 11, the fullness of the Gentiles, once that reaches its point, the fullness of the Gentiles, then the focus is going to go back on the Jews. Blindness in part has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. So look what happens here in verse 5, still in Psalm 83. For they have consulted together with one consent, so a united people. They form a confederacy against you, the tents of Edom. And the Ishmaelites, Moab, and the Hagrites, Gebal, Ammon, and Amalek, Philistia, with the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria, has also joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot. Very interesting. They have helped the children of Lot. These are the children of Lot, are the Moabites and the Ammonites. Selah, he says at the end of verse 8. Selah, which is like, you see Selah, it's like take a pause, take it all in, reflect and meditate on what you just read. Selah, Selah. Now, prophetically speaking, in Genesis 19, turn with me really quick to Genesis 19. So you see, you hear in verse 6, Edom, uh, Moab, verse 7, Ammon. And these are uh, peoples that uh, uh, Balaam is prophesying about. But in Genesis 19, verse 36, this is how the Moabites and the Ammonites came to pass, came to be. In verse 36 of Genesis 19, thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. Remember, they, as they fleed uh, 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 Sodom. And when they fleed Sodom, it's like, you know, it's like, wow, they didn't have... You know, there was nobody. They didn't have anybody to procreate with. So they took it upon themselves. What did they do? They got their dad drunk and, you know, one daughter one night. And the very next night, they get their dad drunk and then it was sin. They committed sin. You see? And then all of a sudden, verse 37, the firstborn bore, the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. Now you see, you understand, disobedience has consequences. Because what happens with the Moabites and the Ammonites? They become huge problems for Israel. Huge problems. That of which, some of which we've studied already. You're going to see in the Kings and the Chronicles, problems for Israel. And even in the last day, even today, problems for Israel. Why? A result of disobedience. 
We get stuck on the today, which I get, you know, today is fine. But we never think about, wow, you know, if I make this choice of disobedience, how is it going to impact my family? How is it going to impact my work? How is it going to impact, you know, my, um, my immediate family? My spouse, my kids, my parents, my whatever, my this. How? We never think long. We always think today. Okay, you know, if it feels good, I'm just going to do it. Well, a lot of things that feel good are terrible, spiritually speaking. I mean, you don't need me to tell you that. You see? But we don't walk according to the flesh. We don't walk, we walk according to the Spirit. And if you walk according to the flesh, well, you learn to walk according to the Spirit. And then as you learn to walk according to the Spirit, then you actually walk according to the Spirit. That's what's so beautiful about these earth suits. The Lord teaches us. You're gonna, we study that in Romans. Walking according to the flesh and according to the Spirit. And you're going to walk according to the flesh. But once you realize, like, man, I made the wrong choice. I made, the wrong, I made a mistake. You repent right there. You repent right there. And the next time you're encountered with that same situation, you remember and you don't make that same mistake. You lay aside all those things which so easily ensnare you. You see? And then you learn. You grow. You mature. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 said, some of you ought to be teachers by now. The danger of arrested development we're studying the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians, our study on Sunday. The danger of arrested development. You see? I mean, straight up saved from Sodom and Gomorrah, but yet immediately starts sinning. Uh, the daughters, the daughters of Lot. You see? And the offspring turns out to be a big problem. A big problem for Israel. Not to say that, you know, a child born in sin is like, you know, going to be a problem. Any child can be a problem. Which hearkens the parents. Teach your kids. And teach them well. Teach them to run. Teach them to run their race. You see? Before the Lord. Not your race. You see? Their race for the Lord. Their walk with Jesus Christ. Their personal Lord and Savior. You see? Let's go back to um, Numbers. Numbers 24. And so here in Numbers 24, what happens here? This prophecy that, that Balaam is having in verse 17, chapter 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and, and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And we look at these passages in Psalm 83 where it's like, well, you see a picture of that, what's going to happen in the last days. Now, I have to say this too, because in Daniel 11, you know, a lot of mockers today, a lot of atheists who are former Christians, they used to be Christians, and they left the church for whatever reason. And sometimes I understand completely why they left the church. Sometimes they left the church because it, sometimes they just, they like, that. just as the Lord says, they like, in, in John 3, they like the darkness more than the light. But sometimes they have left the church atheists 
because of hypocrisy. Because of pedophile pastors. Pastors, youth pastors who prey on the people they're supposed to feed and protect. Biblically supposed to. Pastors who are hypocrites. Pastors who teach falsely. False doctrine. They teach, oh, you said this. You said the Lord was going to bless me. You said the Lord was going to do this. You said the Lord was going to do this. And it never happened. You see? No. The prophets of the Lord, you know, they align with the prophets of old. The prophets of the Old Testament, the prophets of the New Testament. They go off into crazy town. You know, they better be thankful we're not in the Old Testament days because the Bible says in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, stone them, kill them. But that's the Old Testament. As New Covenant believers, we have to understand, you know, it's like, it's like the sword in the stone. I don't like to use comic books or anything, but for like, sometimes like kids today, the millennial generation, they're like, well, sword in the stone, what are you talking about? Z generation, they have no idea what I, I'll say it another way, using comic book Thor. You know, you have the comic book Thor and he has his little hammer. It's like not everybody can wield that. And it's the same with the word of God. Now I'm speaking in reality now. It's the same with the word of God. We are the ones, you are the ones who have to make this distinction. You have to look at the fruit. You look at the fruit, you look at the doctrine. Somebody's teaching crazy town. Oh yeah, I love this guy. He's such a good pastor. He just, oh, I just, I, I, I feel it in my heart, you know, the spirit of the Lord. And the, you, you say the spirit of the Lord wants you to go grave soaking? Oh yeah, it just, it, it, it feels so good. I just feel such a, a good sensation in my heart. And in my soul, you know, so I, yeah, I'm going to go grave soaking with these guys. What? That's the pneumos. Remember we talked about that on Sunday? Be very careful with the pneumos. Because the pneumos is a very dangerous realm. It's beautiful, but it's dangerous. You see? You have to be dangerous yourself. You see? Very important to understand these things because it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. It's already bad. I mean, I teach from an America bubble. But I still keep in contact with, like, hey, what's going on over here? What's going on in this country? What's going on in this? What's going on with the persecuted church over here? And it's terrible what's happening. Beautiful for the pastors. Beautiful for the church. The, the, I don't know, not beautiful for the pastors, but I mean, like, beautiful in their fellowships and, you know, pastors teaching and protecting Knowing that they're pastors who refuse to get married, refuse to get married, they, they, not because they don't want to, I mean, they have a heart for the people and maybe have fallen in love as, you know, like, no, this isn't, no, this is a closed door. Do you know why? To protect their wife and kid, the ones that they could have had. see living sacrificially sacrificially men beautiful beautiful men the most beautiful men you'll ever see with spiritual eyes who refuse marriage 
denying children, denying a wife, denying children. Why? Because they know that, you know, the further they, in their intimacy with the Lord, the threat is so real that it's going to cost their wives, their kids, it's going to be a threat to their wives and kids. So they say no. They're such beautiful, beautiful creatures. The most, oh, the most beautiful I can. There's no one more beautiful. Living sacrificially for the Lord. Men and women. And I see that a lot in the persecuted church. A woman whose husband was killed, pastor husband was killed. They couldn't find him for months. Finally, they found his body baked in the sun and, you know, the, the decayed body. And she's walking for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles, trying to get across the border to where there's safety. Other women, they hide in the bushes. I mean, that's just... They're hiding from people, trying to be safe away from the threat. But think about like the animals, you know, the snakes and oh. we live in this. But if you live in the Western world, I mean, you, you see, I mean, we live in, I teach from America. We live in this America bubble. But you're like, if you're in European lands, you see this bubble of protection. It's deteriorating because you see what's happening to France. You see what's happening in Great Britain. You know, Norway, Sweden. You see what's happening. It's prophesied. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. So, you know, we see, we looked at the passage in, in Psalm 83 about Moab and Edom and Am, uh, Ammon. But in Daniel 11, there's prophecy of how Edom and Ammon and Moab, they'll escape. But the passage in Daniel 11, verse 41 says, It's prominent and the chief, which translates in the Hebrew as the first fruits. The first fruits. So why do you even bring that up? Well, you know, remember that. Because it just so happens that we're going to study that on Sunday. It just so happens that we're going to study that on Sunday, the first fruits. You see? In verse 18, And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also his enemies shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly out of Jacob. One shall have dominion. Notice the capitalist. I read out of a modern, not too modern, but a relatively modern, um, New King James Version. And the one here is capitalized. Or the O is capitalized in the word one. Out of Jacob, one shall have dominion. It's a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Shall prevail and reign. That's how dominion translates in the Hebrew. It's Jesus Christ. The millennial reign of Jesus Christ. In verse 19 at the end, and destroy the remains of the city. Remember, the first time he came as a lamb for salvation. And the second time he comes as a lion. It's judgment. Judgment. Then he looked on Amalek. Remember, uh, the, the, then he looked at, at, at on Amalek. So this is, the, the, the Amalek is the region of what's modern day Egypt. Now remember, 
when Balak took Balaam, he took them to, he took him up to the high places. So when they're in the high places, remember what we studied last week? They're in the high places, and it's in the high places where Balak says, Okay, here, look at Israel. Now curse them from this angle. And Balaam said no. And then he go to another uh, high place and say, Okay, let's look down at Israel. It says, Okay, let's curse them from here. And Balaam says no. Then Balak went to another angle and says, Okay, let's curse them from here. And Balaam says no. Now, what happens with Balaam is that in that conversation that he had with Balak is that he already... He already planted a seed in the heart of Balak. He already planted a seed. Now, when I say that, that's from chapter 23, verse 9, when he says, not reckoning itself among the nations. Or Remember, we studied the, it's the chashab in the Hebrew. It's to interpenetrate, interpenetrate, which is, you know, there's that, you know, there's, sexual penetration but then there's also spiritual penetration and that's what we're going to study next week lord willing and what happens with this knowledge that balak has now through the counsel of balaam and we're going to see what happens it's not good it's not good at all because all of a sudden what happens with israel is they start through that penetration they start to take on the ways of moab Instead of honoring the Lord, they honor the Baals. It's not good. Not good at all. And so, let's look at what happens here in, in verse uh, 20. Uh, chapter 24 says, Then he looked on Amalek. Now, so, remember, they're in the high places of the Baal. Of Baal, they're in the high places. So, you see, like, I mean... Picture if like on the mountaintop and you look, you turn, you face the east and you look at a region and then you look to the west and you face a region, you look to the south, you face a region. And that's what's happening here with, 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 with Balaam and Balak looking at, you know, one direction in certain regions, the peoples of those regions. And, and that's what's happening here in verse 20. Then he looked on Amalek and he took up his oracle and said, now... <clears throat> This is the Amalek, it's the region of modern day Egypt. Now, turn with me really quick to Isaiah 19. Isaiah 19. In Isaiah 19, the prophet Isaiah, beautiful, beautiful prophet. Now, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So, like Peter, uh, Paul, when he writes, when he, everything has to align. Prophets of today, so-called prophets, they have to align with scripture. You see, I say so-called, so-called prophets because only the Berean can identify the real prophets. You see, a baby Christian, you know, arrested development Christian cannot identify. It is impossible for them to identify false teachers and false prophets. Why? Because they're babies, just like we studied in Corinth. You hear me rail against the pastors of Corinth, the elders of Corinth. Where in the world were the pastors? Where in the world were the elders? I mean, praise the Lord that he cleaned house. 
but it's still sad that he cleaned house. To anybody named a brother, you know, separate from these people? Not even to eat with such a person? And I mean, praise the Lord that it happened, but it's sad that it happened. Where in the world were the pastors? They should have taught. Why is it that three years later, the church was still on milk? It would have been better if at least they were on Cheerios. Little chicky nuggies. It would have been better. But no, it wasn't the case. Why? Because they were preschool teachers. Remember, Paul? You might have 10,000 preschool teachers. What did Paul say? But I'm pouring into you. I'm teaching you. As a father. You see? That's what he says. Not to boast. Not to boast at all. His boast is in Christ. Where are these beautiful ox of today? Where are these beautiful unicorns of today? You know, hearkening the Septuagint. Isaiah 19, verse 1. The burden or the oracle against Egypt, against Egypt. Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt. Very interesting. What do we see? You know, remember the spirit of the prophet. You know, he, he, Verse 1 here. Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud. What does John say? The Lord comes on a cloud. What does Paul say? The Lord comes on a cloud. What does the Lord say of himself? He comes on a cloud. You see? Everything aligns. Everything aligns. Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt. The idols of Egypt will totter at his presence and the heart of Egypt will melt in its mist. I will set, set the Egyptians against Egyptians. Everyone will fight against his brother and everyone against his neighbor. City against city, kingdom against kingdom. The spirit of Egypt will fall in its mist. I will destroy their council and they will consult their idols and the, their charmers, the mediums and the sorcerers and the Egyptians I will give into the hand of a cruel master and a fierce king will rule over them says the Lord the Lord of hosts now very 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 troublesome times very very troublesome times do you see what's happening to the people here in verse 3 they will consult the idols and the charmers the mediums and the sorcerers this is at a future time a future event in the last days when the Lord comes riding on the cloud, this is the conditions of the land. This is what's hap happening situationally on the land. Geopolitically on the land. Culturally on the land as the people consult the idols, the charmers, the mediums, the sorcerers. Very, very troublesome times. This is just Egypt right now. But it's going to happen all over the world. But we're talking about Egypt right now. Yes, these are very, very troublesome times, but they're also beautiful times. Now, I know that comes as a shocker. What do you mean beautiful times? Well, look at verse 19. Remember, just as the Lord made himself known in Egypt in Exodus, he makes himself known in this particular chapter, Isaiah 19. Look at verse 19. 
in that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. And it, and it will be for a sign and for the witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to the Lord because of the oppressors. And he will send them a savior and a mighty one. And he will deliver them. You see, tribulation, it's going to be very, very troublesome. Perilous. What we're witnessing today is nothing, nothing. It's going to get worse. But it will also be beautiful. Because as Egypt is holding on, like in verse 3, they're holding on to their idols, their charmers, their mediums, and their sorcerers. Well, what's going to happen? As people realize, man, these charmers... They're not getting me anything. These idols, they're not giving me anything. These mediums, nothing. These sorcerers, nothing. Remember, the Lord is making himself known. And then all of a sudden, in verse 20, they will cry to the Lord because of the oppressors, and he will send them a savior and a mighty one, and he will deliver them. You see? Jesus Christ coming as lion. The lion of Judah. You see, then the Lord will be known to Egypt and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and will make sacrifice and offering. Yes, they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. And the Lord will strike Egypt. He will strike and heal it. Yes, the Lord is going to strike Egypt, but he will strike and heal it. They will return to the Lord and he will be entreated by them and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria and the Assyrian will come into Egypt and the Egyptian into Assyria and the Egyptians will serve the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land. Whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Do you see what is happening? Prophetically speaking, do you see what is going to happen? Yes, tribulation is terrible. Terrible. But there's also beauty in the events of tribulation as the Lord makes himself known. People letting go of the charmers. People letting go of the idols, of the mediums, of the sorcerers. Letting go of the Buddhas. Letting go of the crack. Letting go of the Marys, of the Hare Krishnas. Letting go of the sex. Letting go. Because the Lord will make himself known. You see? You and me. We make him known today. Your workplaces, the grocery store, where you know where you go, you go to the park, you meet somebody. It's like it's difficult now because of you know COVID and all these government restrictions. But even that is understandable, given the events of what we know is going to happen in the last days, as the church enters into judgment. Because judgment comes first in the house of God. The Lord is cleaning house. Look at the mega churches that are shutting down. And I don't say that like in a negative way. Like, oh, it's bad that these churches are shutting down. No, it's good that they're shutting down because they are propagators of poison. You know, 
10,000 member church. They meet in huge stadiums and they never once open the Bible. You see, the Lord is cleaning house. Judgment comes first in the house of God. And, you know, does that mean that I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad that the false teaching isn't taught anymore? But where are the shepherds? Where are the teachers? Where are the ox? Where are the unicorns? Septuagint unicorn. (laughs) Where are they? You see? So understand, you know, a lot of times people are like, wow, you know, the tribulation, it's scary, it's terrifying. And yes, it is. But there's also beauty in what's happening, what's going to happen. As people let go. As people let go of their idols. People let go of their strongholds. Now, not everybody will let go. Not everybody. Just that we, you know, that reference in Daniel 11, not everybody will let go. But there is a promise according to the first fruits, of which it just so happens we're going to discuss on Sunday, Lord willing. Let's go back to Numbers, Numbers 24. And in Numbers 24, um, Verse 20, and he looked on Amalek, which is the reign of modern, the, the, the region of modern day Egypt. Then he looked on Amalek and, Amalek, and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. Then he looked on the Kenites. Now, the Kenites are nomadic, nomadic around the area of Judah. There is, what's happening today is you're seeing, politically speaking, you're seeing more political leaders recognize what's referred to as the Levant, which is an area, a conglomeration of nations surrounding Israel, including Israel, in accordance to the Levant. Me personally, I hate it. Because it's anti-Zionist. There are anti-Israel roots to the Levant. So you hear political leaders mention the Levant. Or like you hear political leaders say like ISIS. But then you hear some political people say ISIL. Well, they're they're recognizing the Levant. That's what they're doing. They know what they're doing. It's in recognition of the Levant. When you hear people say ISIL, I don't like it. It's anti-Zionist. Another sign of this transition, the world transitioning into the events of the last days. Another indicator. In verse 21, Then he looked on the Kenites and took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. Now, this is from Cain, like Cain and Abel, the descendants of Cain. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Asher carries you away captive? Now, Asher is from Shem, uh, Shem, uh, from Genesis Shem. 
and the Assyrians, the genealogy, genealogy, genealogically speaking, genealogically speaking. <laughs> Sorry, I have a problem with that. You know, so certain words I have a problem with, which you'll it will be made evident as you know sometimes like geneal genealogically speaking, the genealogy. You know, the the anthropologically speaking. You know, when you follow, that's what. That's why you, when I gave that warning before we looked at these peoples, sometimes certain peoples, you'll see them traverse areas around Israel. And so when you see a prophecy about them, well, you know, a lot of times when you, when you look on the internet, this is why I gave that warning about the internet and you have to be very careful, because sometimes you'll see people say, well, you know, it's these people from this region. Well, you know, Nomadically speaking, they might have originated there. But when we look at these correlating passages from the events of the last days, well, we know that anthropologically they made their way in this other region. So like you, you, you're saying like, you know, uh, southern Jordan when really there's regions that are in southern Syria, which this comes into major play when we look at passages in Ezekiel 38 and some of the nations of Ezekiel 38. This comes into major, major play because sometimes... People can be way out in left field. And so you have to be very careful with what you see on the internet because, you know, people come up with these conclusions and they come up with these conclusions, but yet when they do so, it doesn't match Scripture. It fails to match Scripture. And there's the acknowledgement, well, you know, we are, certain things are unknown even still at this particular juncture consider fog have you ever driven through fog you drive through fog and you might look at you know you might look on gps and you see like okay this it says i'm like at my destination it says the next right i pull in and you know i'm gonna have a hamburger but i don't see it because you're in the fog you might be like you know 200 yards away or you know depending on where you are maybe 200 meters (laughs) And then all of a sudden GPS says, okay, turn right. And you go in the driveway, you turn right. And then you're in, you're going slowly. And then all of a sudden you see it. Okay, there it is. I see it now. It's not clear, but I see it. And that's how it's going to be in the last days. Certain things are 20 years ago, they were too far out. They were too far out 20 years ago to where, you know, we can get an idea. Like, you know, we're kind of close, but it was too far out. But now, as we're getting closer and closer and closer, things are starting to be made more clear. The Euphrates River, drying. Regions of the Nile River, drying. As prophesied in Holy Scripture. These are major, major things. You see these alliances that are happening across the globe. China and Iran, uh, Russia, Syria. Jordan, all these nations that are mentioned, prophetically speaking, just like we're looking at here in Numbers 24, which are aligning with Isaiah, Ezekiel, alignment. So you hear me say from time to time, you know, the uh, uh, convergence of prophecy. I'm not just pulling that out of my hat. I'm not just saying that to... Uh, you know, as you know, like uh, you know, sensationalize. I'm saying it because you know we're seeing it. But where are the ox?
Where are the unicorns? Septuagint unicorns. Where are they? Where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? You see, oh, they're too busy going grape soaking. You see? Crazy town. Crazy town. Just as prophesied. The apostasy of the last days. It's prophesied. So let's see here in verse 23. Um, verse 23. Then he took up his oracle and says, Alas, who shall live when God does this? I love this so much because it reminds me of the last days generation. It reminds me of you and me, the last days generation. Me personally, I wholeheartedly believe that we are the last days generation. Wholeheartedly. Amen. There's nobody that can convince me otherwise. Now, the Lord could tarry. You know, when the Lord says in Matthew 24, pray, pray that these events don't happen in the winter. I mean, to have, for people to have such close intimacy with the Lord, to pray and put like a little delay on the last. Remember, 70 weeks are decreed. Uh, Daniel 9. 70 weeks, Daniel 9, 27, 70 weeks are decreed. Well, actually, Daniel 9, it's Daniel 9. Uh, bear with me. Nine twenty four. Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are decreed. And so Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are decreed. But even though 70 weeks are decreed, the Lord even says, Pray that these things don't happen. Pray that the abomination of desolation doesn't happen in the winter. You see? That intimacy. Now you have something, the pre-tribulation theory people, they say, oh, that's for Israel. That's for the Jews. Okay. I get that. I mean, I understand why you say that. I don't agree with it, but I understand why. But does that mean that there's two raptures? Because in that same chapter it says, you know, one will be taken, the other left. So if that's for the Jews that remain, does that mean the pre-tribulation rapture, that has already happened, and then there's a second rapture for Israel? You see? These are things that we cover in that, you know, I may, you, I may mention of the, you know, that, that, that message, when is the rapture? Listen to that. This is going to sound kind of crazy. This is going to sound like... I don't want to offend. I don't want to hurt anybody. But me personally, I believe one of the greatest threats to the church today, one of the greatest, greatest threats to the church today is the pre-tribulation rapture theory. Because the Bible says that in the last days, the mockers will say, where is the sign of His coming? Where is the sign of His coming? For that prophecy to come to pass, the pre-tribulation rapture people have to get louder and louder and louder proclaiming pre-tribulation rapture. They're setting the stage for that prophecy to come to pass. Where is the promise of His coming? Where is the promise of His coming? I mean, person, you might be a you know a hardcore pre-tribulation rapture theory person, and I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to shock you. Because it can come as a shock to be like, whoa, you're a Christian that doesn't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture? Well, I would love to believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, except there's a problem. It's not in the Bible. You see? It's not in the Bible. 
Oh, but God will save us from that hour. You know what? Don't forget Smyrna. Don't forget Smyrna. You know, Revelation 2. Don't forget Smyrna. What are you talking about? Well, well, since we mentioned it. In... Maybe it's Revelation 3. See, that's a problem. I will say something. I will say like, oh yeah, this. And then I know it's Revelation 2, Revelation 3. Uh, oh, here we go. Okay, so a lot of, you know, Revelation 3, verse 10. Because you, because you have kept my commands to persevere... I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And a lot of times people lean on that. They say, wow, you know, look, the Lord is going to save us. Yes, the Lord will, will just look at Egypt. Look at Egypt. Plague after plague after plague. But where was Israel? Goshen. He protected the Jews. He protected his people. He protected Israel. While the plagues were befalling Egypt, they had protection. But their rapture through the sea had yet not happened. You say, well, what about Smyrna? You mentioned Smyrna. Okay, I did mention Smyrna. I'm looking for that now. <laughs> In verse 10, chapter 2, Revelation. So it's both. So I thought it was chapter 2, and then I said, wait, it's maybe chapter 3. So it's, cha it's both. Chapter 3, people lean on chapter 3, verse 10, understandably. But don't forget Goshen, and also don't forget Smyrna. Why? Because in verse 10, chapter Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. You know whose church that is? That's Smyrna. Verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna. You see? Smyrna. A lot of times people want to lean. Oh, I'm Philadelphia. I'm Philadelphia. Chapter 3, verse 7. I'm Philadelphia. I'm Philadelphia. Don't forget Smyrna. Don't forget Smyrna. Maybe you're Laodicea. Maybe you're Pergamos. Maybe you need to repent so your name can be in the book of life and stay in the book of life and be kept in the book of life. Maybe you need to repent. You see? So let's go back to Numbers 24. In Numbers 24, verse 23, then he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who will live when God does this? Me personally. This could be us. That's what I think. This could be us. They're very... Nobody can convince me otherwise. But I do believe we're a last day's generation. But, you know, praise be to the Lord because you read the apostles. You read the New Testament. And, you know, what I love so much is that they live prepared. Yes, the Lord tarried. I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years. 
I mean, from the Gospels. And yes, the Lord tarried. But they lived and they taught in a state of spiritual preparedness. I love that. Preparedness, ready. Waiting. Ready, on point, like on watch, on guard. Alas, who shall live when God does this? Verse 24, but ships shall come from the coast of Cyprus. Translates as Katim, Katim. Turn with me really quick to Daniel 11, the book of Daniel 11. Daniel 11. Daniel 11, verse 20, 29, the prophet Daniel, the prophets, the spirit, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. You see alignment with Daniel, with Ezekiel, with uh, 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 Peter, with John. Why? The same spirit. That's why. You don't see the prophet Daniel saying, let's go grave soaking. You don't see uh, Paul say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You don't see John say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. No, you see the exact opposite. Never take the mark of the beast. So what do I say? Never, ever, ever take the mark of the beast. I don't care what anybody says. Never take it. So Daniel chapter 11, verse 29. At the appointed time, he is a prophecy of the Antichrist. The son of perdition who will be revealed at the abomination of desolation. The middle of the 70th week of which the spirit told Paul to write a letter to the church that in Thessalonica that believed they were they believed in the imminent return of Jesus Christ and in spite of the spirit the Lord says Paul write to them second Thessalonians uh, write them this and here it is in chapter 2 send them another letter Tell them not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled in spirit. Tell them not to be deceived for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And so now we look at the prophet Daniel, which aligns perfectly with Paul. Remember, the spirit of the prophets, subject to the prophets. No crazy town. No crazy town. You see, you have... Uh, prophets today, so-called prophets today. Oh, yeah, so-called teachers today, so-called pastors today. Oh, yeah, let's go grave soaking. Here, let's you know speak in tongues. The uh, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues, and if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Where is that in the Bible? When the Bible says there are diversities of gifts. You see? And the greatest gift is love. And you can speak with tongues of angels. And without love, you're a symbol, a clinging symbol. Some translations say an annoying gong. So here in verse 29, Daniel 11. At the appointed time, he, speaking of the Antichrist, shall return and go toward the south. But it shall, be like the, it shall not be like the former or the latter. For ships from Cyprus, which is Katim, Katim, ships from Cyprus. You know what's interesting about Cyprus today? Their natural gas agreement with Israel, which Israel is now tying in the UAE based on the Abraham Accords. 
And that's ruffling a lot of feathers, a lot of feathers with Turkey, with Syria, which Jordan, uh, King Abdul. These are things that are happening today. Look in the news. Do a search in the news. Cyprus and Israel, you read all about their natural gas agreement and how it's ruffling feathers. Look at how the UN is coming in to, you know, try to establish some kind of um, agreement with the uh, disputing factions there in Cyprus. Another sign of the times. The fog is clearing. In verse 30, for ships from Cyprus shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return in rage against the Holy Covenant and do damage. So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. And forces shall be mustered by him. And they shall file the sanctuary fort- and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. And they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Now, prophetically speaking, this happens in the middle of the 70th week. Daniel 9 verse 27. This is what Jesus Christ prophesied in Matthew 24. In verse 32, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But, 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 the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Great exploits, the people who know their God. And those of the people who understand these are the teachers. These are the pastors in the last days. The beautiful ox. The beautiful unicorns. Septuagint unicorns. And those are the people who understand shall instruct many. Yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. You know what's going to happen in the last days? To the pastors, to the teachers, those with understanding going to be killed they're going to be killed they're going to have a big fat target on their back not on their back on their chest on their head everywhere why because look at what they're doing for the kingdom the ones who don't want to go grave silking who would dare not take god's people grave silking in verse 34 now when they fall they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join them with by, join with them by intrigue, and some of those of understanding shall fall. It's the death of the teachers. It's prophesied this antichrist is going to prevail against the saints. We study that in our study in Revelation, which we're going to get to eventually, again, and we're going to keep studying. When we're done with Revelation, we're going to go right back to the gospel and start fresh. Why? Because in these earth suits. We tend to forget. We tend to forget. So, you know, I'm kind of like, depending on time-wise, we might, we kind of finish the New Testament every, so far we're on track to about every seven years. We finish the New Testament. And we're still counting with the Old Testament. (laughs) But every seven years. So, like if you have a brand new baby and we start in one of the Gospels, and, you know, by the, we'll be in finishing the end of Revelation when that child is seven years old. And, you know, if things go like they are, you know, the, the, the trend that we've had thus far, every seven years we finish the New Testament. 
So, you know, the child is going to be 14 when you finish it again. And then not finish, you know, goes off to college, goes wherever, starts living life, doing, I mean, obeying Jesus Christ, living her own life with Jesus Christ, living his own life with Jesus Christ. That's like two and a half, two and a half times to the New Testament. But look what happens here in verse 35. But the teachers will be killed in the last days. Understand that in verse 35. And some of those of understanding shall fall. And the, their falling of these teachers is to refine them. Refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end. Because it's still for the appointed time. You know, those that remain. You know, it's so beautiful. You hear me talk about, you know, we, we, we study these passages you hear us mention like this solitude in Christ. You have intimacy with Jesus Christ. And the closer you get to Christ, the more alone you're going to be. It's not a bad thing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful for several reasons. Number one, your intimacy with Jesus Christ. Him. Very few people can stomach you. But there's something else that's so beautiful. When you have a target on your back, and the Antichrist and Satan, the, the demons, they want you dead. Praise be to the Lord that you're alone. You know why? Because God's sheep will be safe. God's sheep will be okay. You see? Why? To refine them, to purify them, and to make them white until the time of the end. Because it is still for the appointed time. You see? Verse 36 is like what, what Paul says in, in, in what we looked at in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The king, this is speaking about the Antichrist, shall do according to his own will. His own will, not the Lord's will. His own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every God. He shall speak blasphemies, blasphemies against the God of gods and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. You see, everything, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. What Paul says, in spite of the Spirit, has to align with Daniel. The church in Thessalonica, they were, you know, the, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit says, hey, Paul, write them a letter. Paul says, okay. And in obedience to the Lord, the Spirit is saying, okay, write this, write this. And in obedience, he pens it down. He pens it down and it aligns perfectly with what the same Spirit told the prophet Daniel. See, the spirit subject to the spirit, same spirit, no misalignment at all. Everything aligns perfectly. And it was written here in Daniel 11, verse 30 ships from Cyprus, which is a little hot zone right now, a little area of concern right now. Very interesting. We see this convergence of yet another event. So let's go back to Numbers. In closing, Numbers 24, verse 24, But ships shall come from Cyprus, from the coasts of Cyprus. Very interesting. And they shall afflict Ashur and afflict Eber. Now, remember, Ashur is this uh, modern-day uh, Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Syria, this region in the Middle East nations that are surrounding Israel, the neighbors of Israel. Uh, 
They shall afflict Ashur and afflict. They shall afflict Ashur and afflict Egypt and afflict Eber. Now, Eber is there's mention of Eber in Genesis ten, but there's limited information about it. There's theories, but they're just theories. That's why I say be careful what you know. You do your internet searches. Be very, even if you get books, be very careful because some of these. Some of these people, you're gonna see. They, I mean, if you do, I would, I would say, if you're a brand new believer, don't do it. If you're like, you know, grade school believer, don't do it. If you're middle school believer, don't do it. If you're high school, probably okay. And I'm speaking, I'm making academic correlation to spiritual growth, but you get my drift. Because sometimes these rabbit holes can get, get pretty dangerous, especially when they get into, you see a lot of like a like a quasi-Hebrew roots movement, which there's a lot of perversion because it's a lot of times it's perverted guys that want to make license for, you know, multiple wives, multiple concubines. It's stupid. You know, trying to trick, trick people who genuinely believe in God but again just like in Corinth where are the pastors where are the teachers where are the ox where are the unicorns that's what I want to know where are they where are they Septuagint unicorns have to emphasize (laughs) but you know we look at Eber there's very limited information about Eber me personally These are things that I think are going to become more clear in the course of time. Probably they are Ezekiel 38 nations, um, but we're going to see as things pan out. Okay, these, this is the, the anthropological movement of, through the genealogy of Iber. And so we see the end of verse 24, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. In closing... Verse 25, so Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his way. Very interesting what we see here. Now, concerning the two, Balaam and Balak, they separate. But an evil seed was already planted in Balaam. An evil seed was already planted in Balaam. It didn't end well with him. When I say this evil seed, it's... What is it that motivated him to to disobey the Lord? You know, Brother Jude, inspired of the Spirit, reveals prophet. Prophet. Who paid him? You know, maybe, and these are things that we're going to study in future chapters, and we're going to see, and it will be revealed. But it's very interesting. I'll just say it. I've already said it, but... Just so you don't forget. In chapter 31, verse 16, the, 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 look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of Israel. Now, you start to see a picture here of like, wait a second. So, it, 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 it just blows me away just to see how the enemy will, is persistent, nonstop. He'll poke, 
he'll prod, he'll try to create whatever wedge he can. Why? To get you to fall. And once he, it's not just to get you to fall. When that happens, he'll kill you. It's not just, okay, you know, I'm going to make you fall. No. He's, he's cheap. He doesn't play you fair. He's a murderer from the beginning. A murderer from, not a bad guy from the beginning. Not a liar from the beginning. He is the father of lies, but no, a murderer. That's his whole objective to you. To kill you. That's his whole objective to your family. To kill them. That's his whole objective with those you love. To kill them. With your beautiful children. To kill them. The flock. To kill them. Pastors. To kill them. Elders. To kill them. Israel. So that God's promises cannot be fulfilled. To kill them. The saints, so that God's promises cannot be fulfilled, to kill them. You see? Knowing that's our foe. Knowing that. You see? What are we to do? We're the fighters. And not just the fighters, the warriors. Not just the warriors, the fishermen. And the Bible says that we have to be wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. You see, the Lord teaches us, the Lord shows us. With Balaam, he has beautiful, beautiful intimacy with the Lord, prophesying prophecies that align perfectly with the prophets. But the problem with Balaam is that he didn't finish well for you and for me for us a people of the way we run our race to the end not for five months not for five years not for 50 years till your last dying breath no sprinting you don't have to sprint don't sprint in fact i would say don't sprint but we'll have a nice steady pace maybe a nice steady walk as we traverse through the wilderness you see Paradise. It's a paradise. God bless you, beautiful people of the way. I love you.